Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host, as always. And today we're joined by Brett Gilliland, the mastermind behind Elite Entrepreneurs. Brett's mission is close to my heart. It's to guide a million business owners on their journey to 10 million and beyond, all while eliminating chaos. With a proven track record, Brett and his team at Elite Entrepreneurs have empowered countless businesses to multiply their growth, navigating the unique challenges of the seven-figure landscape. From his impactful tenure at Infusionsoft, where he played a pivotal role in skyrocketing its revenue from $7 million to over $100 million, to his dedication in preserving company cultures, Brett's expertise is unparalleled. Whether you're in tech, health, finance, or any growing industry, Brett's insights are invaluable. So I've asked Brett to join us here today to share his story, plus help us understand the keys to scaling it big. So Brett, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you? Doing really well, Daryl, and and super excited to be with you. It's been fun to reconnect. Yeah, yeah, we reconnected a couple of times. We got good energy. I think there's a lot of mutual respect. But how? Before we hop into unlocking the keys, the seven, eight figures, how did you even get started in business? Did you want to? Are you just a born a business savant, or were your parents in businesses? Are you? Yeah. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs, or what? I do the business savant idea. I might just go with that. But actually, my father was a general contractor. I don't know if he would consider himself an entrepreneur, but he would definitely fit into that category of self-employed business owner. He built a business. And in the Phoenix area where I live, construction, and and this happens in lots of areas, but construction is cyclical, right? You have some great years and you have some horrible years. His business would swell to 100 people when things were going really well and it would cool back off to somewhere between 15 and 20 people if it was really scarce, if business was tight. I watched that my whole life growing up and then I went to school and I studied general business. Talk about the most bland major you can like find out there, general business. And before I graduated, my dad talked to me, I'm the oldest in my family and he said, I don't ever want any of my kids to think that they have to come work in the family business I'm going to shut it down. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that's off the table. Okay. (laughs) So so he just wrapped it up. He retired early. He wasn't even 50. He just retired and said, business is done. I'm selling off the assets, the property, and it's done. I look forward to finding out what you do with your life. (laughs) (laughs) We, it's like kicking the, the, the birds out of the nest, like trial by fire. That's right. (laughs) The default path kind of disappeared and I graduated and I, I did not work for my dad. I, I went to work for other businesses. And a, a few years later, I decided to go back to graduate school. I'd had enough mm. of like frontline employee kind of jobs. And I was like, there's got to be more than this. And I found a program. It was a master's in organizational behavior, which mm. is a geeky way to talk about understanding how organizations, businesses in this case, how they tick, how all the parts, how they fit together. 
how you can make them effective to get better results. It's like becoming a physical therapist who understands the body and how it works and fix pains and help you be better. That's who I am for the body, the corporation, the corporate corporeal unit that is a, a business or organization. So I studied that and then went into businesses where I got to practice these things. And then eventually found my way to Infusionsoft, who was a client of mine. I was consulting at that time. And Infusionsoft was a client of mine. I did work with them for eight or nine months. And then the CEO, Clay Mask, we looked at each other and said, okay, let's like, this is going really well. We like each other. The business needs this. And I joined the company and spent 10 years there doing that scaling journey that you referenced from seven figures to a hundred million. So that's how it all happened. I studied business. I worked in business. I, I studied the specialty of organizational behavior, which is really high on like leadership and organization effectiveness. And now I help seven figure business owners figure out how to make that transition from scrappy founder, gritty entrepreneur to capable business building CEO. Which is fantastic. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in that career? In hindsight, it looks like very logical, but obviously going through it, you're walking into the the dark fog, not knowing where your next step is going to be. What were some of the big challenges that you had to face? Yeah, I would say some of the biggest challenges or, I don't know, pivotal moments in my career choices had to do with going into really large businesses with this expertise and saying, okay, I can go into these large businesses and make a difference and realizing that it just takes a ton of time and energy to turn an aircraft carrier around as opposed to a little nimble speedboat. And I learned pretty quick, I guess it took me five years out of graduate school, nah, more like six or seven out of graduate school to realize the big businesses weren't for me. I went and spent time at, at HP I went and, and Compaq computers is where I started. And then HP bought compact. So I went through this big, nasty merger and yeah, I just learned a lot of things, but I was letting people go. I was using my skills to redesign teams and organizations and then let go of people. And I was like, that's not, I, I'm a growth guy. I, I, right. I learned that I'm a growth guy and that I needed to do that in small businesses where we could have an impact right away. I could talk right. to a business owner like you and say, let's try this or let's do that. And we could just do it instead yes. of, Going through all this bureaucratic. We got to speak to legal. Uh, we got to speak to marketing. We got to speak yeah, to yeah, seven yeah. committees to get everyone's consensus. I hate management by committee. I understand the the necessary evil of it, but at the same time, I avoid it like the plague. Like, like yeah. it's just, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I absolutely love the time that I have at Infusionsoft. And if, you're, if your listeners know that story, they know it's now Keep. So Keep. I'll, I'll refer to it as Keep. But right. even at Keep, which I dearly love, not as a software necessarily, but as a team of people and an experience. And it, it was just a great time for me and for that whole thing. It was awesome. But a $100 million company starts to be less fun for somebody like me because you are starting to have like very clearly defined boundaries and this department and that, that area over there. And we got to do way more coordinating and things take longer and like all of that's less fun. So I really love the eight to 10 person million dollar business all the way up to that hundred person, maybe 20, $30 million business. But, but beyond that, I'm, I'm not really excited about bigger businesses. I like mm-hmm. helping founders grow their business to where they want it to go. 
operating in the more complex, more bureaucratic, more high end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not my favorite. Yeah. So bring it back down to scale. What would you recommend to someone who's either starting out their business or they're struggling to get to seven figures to begin with? Oh, I recommend you talk to people like Daryl and others <laughs> who, know, who know how to solve your sales and marketing challenges. I'm actually horrible in the zero to a million range. I'm like, it's not my forte. Like you got to figure out the product market fit and you got to go market it. And you got to consider, like you have to consistently generate leads that it's going to support this growing business. That's all stuff that I'm still trying to figure out for my own business. Mm. But once they get that stuff figured out and the team's starting to grow in complexity, now it's, oh, I can't just be the master operator. I got to figure out how to lead these people. I got, we need to set a clear vision that we can all align to. We got to put meeting rhythms in place. So I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here for a second. The stuff I hated about the hundred million range and the really big stuff that, that yeah. I worked in, I didn't like all the structure, all the delay, all the governance, all the whatever policy, but at that million dollar mark, you have to put enough of that stuff in to be able to scale. Right. Enough of it. Not too much, but enough of it. So yeah. That's great advice. Cause for a lot of people getting to seven figures, if you have a $500 product, that means you need 2000 customers. If you have a thousand dollar product, it means you need a thousand customers. If you have a $5,000 product, you need 200 customers. And if it's a subscription, Right. If it's 17 a month, you need 5,000 subscribers for a year. You need 1,000 subscribers at $83 per month for a year. You need 250 people paying you $333 a month for a year to get to a million dollars. So I really believe like you have to be able to deliver a minimum viable product that people are content and, and hopefully celebrate. And then you have to build the lead and sales machine that can get you those 200 to whatever 5,000 sales that you need. And so I really agree. That was really precise advice that really you need to focus and lean in on your marketing and sales to begin with, not just selling and collecting money, but making sure that you're not giving refunds, making sure that people are happy. If you, That's especially right. in today's the, transparent the other, world. Exactly. The other side of that isn't just the consistent lead gen, but now it's the, how do we fulfill as this thing is growing? Can we build the fulfillment engine that matches that incoming business. And, like how are we going to grow a, a million dragon fruit in the yeah. <laughs> 12 month period, right? right? Yeah. yeah, it's an inside story for people that don't know. So, all right, now when you, sorry, you have a seven figure business, what are the most common mistakes these seven figure businesses are making? The biggest one is that the owner, the business owner has made himself or herself such an integral part of this machine to get it to that point. They had to like personally, they had to make it all happen. And so then they get stuck. The business gets stuck at the level, at, at the top performing spot of that business owner, right? So if they're the type of person who can grind it out with a supporting cast, but grind it out to $2 million, that's the place where they get stuck. If they can push really hard to $3 million, that's where they get stuck. But until they learn to extract themselves from the day-to-day -day delivery, mm. so then they can start doing business building work. That's the biggest thing right there. A related thing is that sometimes or often the, the business identity and the business owner identity is so connected that it's hard. Like you need to give business, you need to give this business a life of its own. You need to say it's okay for it to have separation from the owner, not just so that the owner can spend time scaling, but that we can have a unique identity here 
that we can attract team members to, that we can sell out in the marketplace. Like it just needs separation from the owner. So we help to do the Siamese twin separation trick with the owner and the business, not to have an, um, an absentee owner. I'm not saying that, mm. but to have separate identity that the business can exist and deserves to have life on its own, whether or not that business owner is there. I love that. You were just reminding me, Ken McCarthy, the godfather of internet marketing has been on the show a handful of times, probably four or five times, maybe. And I updated and actually told him this last time we interviewed him at the beginning of this year. He said, it stuck with me, this quote, he said, delegate as much as you can. So you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats and communicating. And the communicating is my addition before you said copywriting. But copywriting was vague in me to me, and I obviously very marketing centric, which I think is important. But I talked to him, we say he agreed because you have to communicate with your customers, you have to communicate with your staff, and that's, that's all right. marketing in a lot of ways is. So delegate as much as you can. So you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats, and communicating. An important point that you made is uh, I think something people can relate to is that when they go to whether it's a Starbucks or McDonald's, whatever, whether whenever they go to one, whether they're going into the counter or through the drive through, they're never. You never like see like the paper on the door. Hey, Sally's not feeling well today. We're closed. The business is there to solve a problem in the community. And there are systems in place and teams in place to share the workload. So it can be busy all day, every day. And regardless of if one person's available or not, or even two, three people that the critical path of the business can still function. And it sounds like what you're talking about that somebody, they are like, the jack of all trades, the Jill of all trades, wearing all hats in the center of it all. They've built these systems around themselves, but they're still plugged. Like they are still the business. If you remove them, they couldn't sell the business. When That's right. They don't have a transferable asset is another way to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. They are so integral to the value delivery of that business that they don't have a transferable asset. They can't give it to somebody else or sell it to somebody else when it's time to exit. Yeah, a buddy of mine, Dan Fagella, sold his business for, I don't know the exact number, but it was a seven-figure number, maybe a couple of multiples. And he had said, I asked him what was one of the keys that helped him be able to sell it. And he said, I had this talk with this older guy who had sold a couple of businesses. And he said, when you wake up every day in the morning, that big, long to-do list of things you have to get done, as long as those items are on your shoulders, you're never going to be able to sell the business. And I think that's what you're speaking to. You have to figure out how to clearly articulate and train people to perform all the functions, whether you do it or someone else does it, these things need, they must be done. And that's, that sounds like the big message you're trying to drive home on that. Is that's that right? Is that fair? That's right. And, and Daryl, I don't remember if we talked about this, but I also have a podcast and I was interviewing somebody once. These are seven figure business owners who've, got, who've, who've grown beyond the early seven figures. They've grown, they've grown to multiple seven figures and, and eight figures. And so I, I interviewed them to share their stories. And this guy was with a really high growth company. And he was sharing, we were talking about the reality that the business can only really go as grow as far as the leadership capability can take it, right? If you don't know how to build a $3 million business, you're not going to build a $3 million business. That's just how it works. So his business was growing so fast. We were talking about how in the world is he keeping up with or staying ahead of that growth? Like yeah. I said. And he had this practice that I think you'll like, Daryl. He said, what I do is every six months, I take inventory of what's on my plate, my to-do list, like you were just talking right. about. And if I've been doing any of those things for longer than six months, I realize I haven't given them away fast enough. 
his whole mentality was, how do I get that stuff off of me as quickly as I can? And, And for the next six months, I got a new set of activities. But my job now is to figure out six months from now, how can I hand those off to somebody else? Yeah. So he's always developing that next person, those next layers. And I don't mean to say layers, the next yeah. leadership capability to, to offload the next stuff. So he could just keep rising and his company could keep going. Yeah, I love that because it's like you say, he's building a machine. I, I, had, a t- I had a meeting with my staff uh, last week. Maybe it was. I hired a new guy, an IT guy. And I sat down and I was talking about, uh, some of you may notice that we're having more IT people on the team, more code techno- technologically minded. And because I want to explain that the whole business operates like software in the sense that we need to rank for SEO. Well, SEO is up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's software. And then it connects to my website, which is a piece of software. And then we get leads that fill in a form. And then they go into these email auto automations, which is software. And then we put them into schedulers which is software. Like all this stuff feeds in, even this podcast is software. We do this recording. We had to set up the reminders, right? Got to have reminders to do it. We hop on the recording. It's got to be processed. We've set up software that took processing this podcast from being a mil- You can pay subscriptions for these tools, but we built them in-house. I'm done with the subscribing. I want to build and own it all. This is the new era. You got co-pilot, all this stuff. I want to own it, but it's that whole, you like, you have to look at your business as a system. And in this case, I use the analogy of software for my team because a lot of them have but paid ads. I'm sleeping. Ads are running, right? Even if it was a billboard ad, even if it was a magazine ad, right? I'm not there handing out handbills on the corner. So I think that's a really powerful message. What are, do you think are some of the most important skills and behaviors for entrepreneurs to develop? So I actually, I'm, I thank you for asking that because I want to go back to and, and if I were a better listener or I had taken notes, I would have got these. But you said you and your friend had shared with you, this is the job. And you added communicate at the end, but it was like, analyze. Yeah, and- De- delegate as much as you can. So you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats and communicating. Okay, delegating so you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats, communicating. Yep. I have a, a similar version of that. And that's probably why I didn't listen well. Oh, I, I'm going to share mine. But it's a similar approach, right? We all wear all these hats, certainly in that zero to a million range. We like put more hats on and we master the hats and now we're juggling all the stuff. The seven figure business owner has to get rid of all the hats, but three. Okay. And my version of that is those three hats are, they need to learn. You asked about what skills they need to be really good at setting the vision. And to me, that encompasses quite a bit of what you were talking about. You got to Delegate the stuff so you can call the shots. You got to be able to analyze the stats mm-hmm. or look at the stats. And then you got to be able to communicate. Well, setting the vision is part of those things. And that's all about clarity around purpose, values, mission, like all the company identity stuff and the future direction stuff, right? That's setting the vision. And it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. There's, it happens initially as a creation point for purpose and values, but then you have to reinforce that all the time. You got to tell stories, you got to teach it, you got to reinforce it. And then there are other things that happen where you just got to get really good at helping people understand why this matters, right? Yep. So you're constantly setting the vision. The other hat that I want all leaders to have, once certainly once they hit that seven figure mark, is that they need to be building the team. And I think that speaks a little bit to delegating in your, in your lingo there, the delegating and the communicating, 
But once we're clear on the vision, now we got to get the right people on board and develop up the team that we have in support of that vision. And that's building the team. And then the last one overlaps again with your concepts that you shared, and it is get the resources. In other words, we need the financial runway to be able to do the thing that we've, we're setting out to do. Some of us like to refer to that as don't run out of money. Yeah. That's the scarcity way of seeing it, right? Yep. Cash is king. We can't run out of finance. But we need to deliver results in a way that the business, today's business, is fueling the runway that we need to build tomorrow. Right. And if need be, how do we get how do we access outside sources of cash or financing to help us fuel this growth? Yeah. So setting the vision, building the team to deliver that vision, and ensuring that we have the resources to go deliver that vision. Those are the and that's very high level, but those are the key things that once you stop being the founder entrepreneur and start being the business building CEO, those are the things that you need to be working on. Mm, yeah, I, I love that. And it speaks to you at least, I think I told you about this, that in 2020, I spent a lot of money to hire 10 research assistants to help me you know, go through all the academic literature to try to identify what really moves the needle for small and medium-sized businesses. And we uncovered eight critical success factors. My regular listeners know them. And one of them, was money management. And when you're talking about this, uh, that's what remind reminded me of. And so for money management, what are the critical pillars of success for that? It's capacity utilization, which is a fancy word of saying, use what you got. There's you can there's fancy words that we can pull from the literature like employee capacity training, financial management, labor productivity, labor intensity, capital intensity, right? Resource acquisition management. It means make the most of everything you got. We've all opened up the cupboards after going grocery shopping and realizing we had something left over that we just bought and maybe we, now we got two and that's great. And in your business, you need to make sure you're on top of that. But the other factors, which I thought, which like you said, is one, uh, this is all correlate, cor uh, correlates to success and you know thriving. It's low capital investment, a leanness as a company, being debt-free, investing heavily in R&D, high quality products and service and assets, plus sales growth. So what that means is the money you make, first off, you want to own it. If you have to pay a lot of debt, every dollar you make is really only 50, 60, 70 cents, right? Depending on what your debt load is. So being maintaining as much of being able to keep all the money that you're making, having very little debt, very lean operation, then be spending in R&D to both maintain and have high quality products and services, purchase assets. This could be a patent. This could be a key piece of real estate. It could be building a sales team. Right. And that's the other one that assets and things that develop sales growth. Another asset would be maybe a piece of equipment. You buy a piece of equipment that allows you maybe your you mow lawns and you just got a little push more, but now you got a riding more. Now you can do more lawns faster at a higher quality. So this is like the this is where the money needs to be recycled and put back into the business. And I think that really you have to know the who, why, where, when you're doing that. Because if you don't have the vision, which would be market intelligence and the strategic planning part of this you're just going to run into off a cliff and into a wall. So you got to know where you're going. And of course the team is so mission critical because all a company is, is a group of people helping another group of people doing it via product or service. Now I didn't come up with that. That was Elon Musk, but I think it's a really neat way to say it. Brett, I wanted to ask, where do you think things are going? There's been so much disruption geopolitically in the global economy, COVID, AI, apparently aliens are real too now. Like where are things going? I think everybody should go out and plant a bunch of dragon fruit trees is what right. I think. We, we talked about that before the show started, but in, in all, in all reality, 
the the chaos and confusion out in the world just continues to spiral up, right? Like it just intensifies. Business in and of itself breeds chaos, right? right. Business breeds chaos. It just does. And so our job as leaders is not necessarily to make sense of chaos, but it is to convert chaos and confusion into clarity and confidence. We have to figure out how to help our people see clearly how we're, like, what we're going to go do together, first of all, and then how we're going to go get that done in a coordinated fashion. So we want team members to take targeted, coordinated action. And mm-hmm. we as leaders have to help them co-create that with us. And I'm going to emphasize that. I think that especially in, in the world today, there are fewer and fewer examples of real leadership. And yeah. I think people are wandering a little bit. They don't have a lot of stability. And the more we as business owners in our relatively small businesses, the more we can step up and provide real leadership to these people and, and caring, developing leaders, making hard decisions, but inviting them into the process of creating together and not, not this old tops down way of doing it, but this let's bring them in, let's engage them, let's enroll them in declaring a future that we want to create together that we're excited about. And right. you'll see that their enrollment go through the roof. You'll see their commitment level, their loyalty, everything will go way up if we learn collectively how as leaders, how to get better at bringing our people into the conversation and creating a future together. So I think the world's going to get more and more chaotic. And I think the best businesses will be built by really great leaders who learn how to unlock, unleash that power of people that we all talk about, but only relatively few really figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, I I can agree with that. If some tips for leader to listeners, according to my research, leadership is self-awareness, communication and cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills and adaptability. So that's really the pillars from that. And that for us comes under self-efficacy, which is personality traits, leadership skills and disciplines, like a discipline and a sense of urgency, which is hard to convey and hard to share. You have to have a high degree of urgency if you're stat because if when they say the cat's the way the mice will play, if you don't have a sense of urgency, your staff aren't right? It's almost yeah. like mindset. They say you, if your mind gives up and you're running a marathon, your body's not going to go, we can do this and carry you across the finish line. Your mind, obviously preparation has to meet the opportunity, right? You have to be capable of it, of doing it. But if you're capable, then it's a lot of it is having the mindset to get you across the finish line. So I think yeah, that's and a lot of those leaders have to rely on, I don't know, personal charisma or personality to, to trump up that level of of motivation and there's an emotional thing that they try to do to keep that alive but the best leaders that i've found and they can still have an engaging personality i'm not saying that they're poor right. in personality but the best leaders figure out how to unlock the power of purpose to provide that excitement right. that drive so i i think purpose driven values based kinds of organizations have figured out how to really excite people around something that matters and that's what I think true leaders figure that out instead of just, hey, come follow me because I'm likable and I know how to talk well and maybe I look good or something. It's not just about charisma. It's about unlocking the power of, of purpose to really fuel meaning with your people. So you're talking to me. I'm hearing you, if I were to translate this, I'm hearing you talk about culture. Yeah, absolutely. How do you foster continue or sorry, how do you develop 
culture and the values that drive your organization? Yeah, so it, it starts right back with the setting the vision conversation that we had. To me, setting the vision equals getting clear on purpose, values, and a destination-oriented mission over a specified period of time, like a, a specific objective by, by the end of 2023, which is this year, I'll pick 30. By the end of 2030, we'll be the largest this thing in this greater Phoenix area, let's say. That's a specific mission that we can all rally around. But culture starts in that shared identity of purpose and values. And if you don't get clarity on that, you can try to build culture on a bunch of like perks or, or office fun. And, and, and I'm not bagging on those things, but those are fleeting things. They're when tactics. They fight, yeah, they're tactics. They're techniques. They're not core cultural elements. And so those who build really great cultures start with the foundation of purpose and values, and then everything they do is to reinforce that. So they hire to the values, they lead to the values, they fire to the values, right? They're constantly talking about it. They bring in customers to talk about the big, how being involved with our product or service made a difference in their life. And they reinforce the purpose of the business through those stories. Like they're just always looking for ways to reinforce that purpose and those values. And that's how a strong culture begins and you have to maintain that or it can wither away. I love that. I love that. I love that. So then how do you concurrently approach professional development and continuous learning with your own, within your own organization? Yeah, I love that. For myself, I, so you, you'll like this, Daryl. We didn't talk about this before. We have a community of elite entrepreneurs. That's our model is we've got members who are seven-figure business owners and they're part of quarterly events and monthly trainings and all that. So we have a community of business owners and we have mastermind groups and all that stuff. I've been leading that community for eight plus years. And so I was providing that for all of our businesses. But for myself, I wasn't getting that from my own community. And so this year, actually, I went out and joined a CEO group for myself to get those types of peer accountability benefits, mastermind types of benefits. And, and that's been really great for me personally. For my team, we do a variety of things depending on their role and their interests. Uh, one of my team members right now is working on her a degree. Like she she didn't finish college and she wanted to work on a, on a degree. She's a single mom now and I need to go get educated. So I support her in, in wanting to make time and, and for that. Uh, along the work lines, if I have somebody who's in a particular role and there's an event or a class or a program that I can invest in for their growth, we, we build that into their development plans. But every quarter, as part of our look back on the previous quarter's performance, we're also looking forward to the next quarter's performance and the next quarter's development. So I'm, we're always talking about that. It's an ongoing conversation. Now, how do you approach, I don't know if this is out of sync with the other questions, but how do you approach managing people and I don't want to say disciplinary action, but rewarding behavior that you want to see. How do you dangle that carrot for the team? So I do a couple of things. One of them is that I get really clear from the beginning on the expectations. Many business owners will say things to me like, if I, I'm just horrible at holding my people accountable, or if only they were, if they would be more accountable, like all of their performance woes in their company come back to not holding people accountable well is the way that they talk about it. And every time I hear that, my brain automatically translates that to, 
you probably haven't been clear enough with them about the expectations. Mm. So I start out with super clear expectations. These are measurable results or measurable activities, but there's three of them for every role. These are, the, we call them the, the big three, three key metrics. I was, That's I right. was going to try to force you to talk about this. I didn't, <laughs> you, you, you didn't see the ace up my sleeve. I was going to be like, are there like three keys? <laughs> yeah, I was literally getting you ready remember. to say that. Yeah. Yeah, you remember. And we and back when you came through Elite, we called it three metrics. And now we call it big three. I don't care what you call it. The, the principle is clarity, measurable ownership in each role. And so if I have 10 salespeople, I know all 10 of them are going to have the same standard around this is what it means to hold this role, to be to own this. And and by the way. The business owner is perfect at delivering the value promised as long as they're making payroll, right? You're like, I agreed to pay you every two weeks this amount, right? I agreed to pay you this commission for this for these sales. But there's, we don't cheat them a cent on that. We're like, here's the full amount I agreed to. On the other side, we're really horrible about understanding what the value delivery is every pay period. Right. Unless you come up with these KPIs or big three or whatever you want to call it, these Three things. This is how we're going to measure value exchanged for payroll every pay right. period. Right. And so that's where I start with. And yes, I like to incentivize people, but we have a con- like basically a, con- a contractual agreement when they first start. Here's the big three. Here's how much I'm going to pay you for that. And that value exchange is set up. Then I can say, oh, by the way, that's you get paid this for this kind of performance. If you perform at this level consistently at a higher level than what we're talking about, then the opportunity for your compensation is this, or the variable pay is that, right? Mm. So I don't just say, here's what's expected for this pay. I do start there. But then I say, if you perform at least this consistently, then here's the pay that comes with that. And on the flip side of that, if you don't meet at least this expectation, then we either have to lower your pay or you need to go find a different job because I'm willing to pay this much for this performance. And if you can't consistently deliver that, then we've got a mismatch in our value exchange. Yeah. I love that. I call that getting a hair. Was it getting a, buying a haircut and getting your shoe shine or you, you hire someone, you go, Hey, I'd really like you to cut my hair and they polish your shoes and you go, wow, you did a great job on my shoes. They are sparkling, but my hair's not cut. And that's that, that was the thing that, this was about. I really appreciate that you polished my shoes and they're so shiny, but you didn't do the haircut, which was the thing I cared about the most. If you did That's, both, I, I would have gone, wow. Yes, I allocated those resources for the haircut <laughs> and you, and I didn't get what I needed, exactly. And then I like to reward the team as a whole. Like if we perform well in the business for the quarter or for the year and there's profits to be had, of course, me as the business owner, I'm like, all right, awesome, there's profits. But I do want to, to send back to my team and say, hey, when you help make this kind of performance, collectively, we're, we're going to benefit from that. So there's individual accountability around expectations in the role with the adder and the subtractor kind of thing that we talked about. But on the whole, if we're killing it, I want to reward the team for helping make that happen. Now, a question about these three key metrics to help people that maybe this is new to, because this can be a difficult thing to figure out how do you, what three things do I need to, to give them? Do you have any, are they typically outcome-based or process-based or is it a combination or? Yeah, I, I would, I would, I'll 
call it outcome based or activity based. Let's start. Let's start with that distinction. And it's I, I'm sorry we always lean on these, but they're the easiest to talk about. A sales rep, right? Sure. You can base the big three off of sales, right? That's outcome based. Or you can say, you know what? I know that if you make the calls a day and you do this many demos a day on average over the course of a week, average this many calls, average this much talk time, average this many demos. These are all activities that are measurable. They're not the they're not the outcome that we're ultimately looking for, but they are indicators of future outcome. And so right. if I have a big three, I could say, okay, we're actually going to put sales in its proper place. That's number one. Like I want, we need the sales, but you're, and, and I like to weight these. So I might say 50% of your evaluation or your performance is going to be measured based off of the actual sale, the outcome. But then 30% is going to be based on the number of dials you make or the amount of talk time you have with prospects or moving a prospect from this stage to that stage, whatever it is, that's the right level of activity in your business. 30% is going to go to that. And then the last 20% is going to go to demos or less or to, I don't know, another one of those examples I gave, right? right. So, so it sounds I, I like, like you would have an outcome based one with two supporting activities. So you've got I, and this I is, gave that yeah. as the example, but I could have in other types of roles, it could be three outcomes or three activities, right? So I can't give the one size fits all example here, but I'm glad you brought that up. It, it could be a mix of them. Well, I brought, or Brett, that's why I brought you here. It was for the, the magic magic bullet. <laughs> no magic we can bullet. say goodbye. So distraught. Yeah. So distraught. That's okay. After this call, we'll talk to, in the magic room about the real <laughs> secret sauce, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, there is no magic room. Got it. And I think this helps people understand if they hadn't thought of it before, why they need to delegate. Because these incentives, you need, you know, it's almost like planting a garden. You're creating a community. And you have to feel like, what is it in it for them? What is their career path? This is another thing I, I feel employees, somebody said this, Daryl, if somebody, I, I don't want this to be derogatory in any term, but he said, Daryl, everyone you hire will always be a beta version of you because otherwise they would be out forging their own path and starting their own business and hiring their own team under them. And so you have to understand that no one's going to care about your vision as much as you do per se, like it's yours. I heard this, I'm spiritual, not religious, but don't expect others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. So that's, I think that speaks to this. But like you said, with values, purpose, and a mission, Elon's got going to Mars. People are like, yeah, that's a great, Elon's mission. But people are like, yeah, that's great. He has to have the sense of urgency that keeps everyone the rhythm of progress, so to speak. But anyway, I just think, I, I think that this is a great way to try to keep everyone aligned and focus on what matters most. And as a business owner, you have to align the incentives the right way. This was a, incentives are so important. FedEx, that's how they got the anywhere in the world in 24 hours or less. They said, hey guys, you know what? I know that like your salary is for eight hours, but if you get this done in two hours, you can go home. And everyone just started doing it in two hours. And they went, wow, we're, this really worked. We can get anywhere in the world now in 24 hours because people are just showing up, emptying the truck onto the plane and the plane is gone. When we paid them for eight hours, they would lollygag. They'd take a few. They'd take a coffee break. They'd go for an extended lunch. If you just get it done, you can go home. And that was the incentive, part of the incentive plan that allowed, and incentives are powerful, right? Both for the customer too. That's Domino's Pizza, right? Fresh hot pizza. They didn't say delicious, just fresh hot pizza in 30 minutes or less. And that's a great, so I, I love this. So I feel like that's the power of the three key metrics. And it gives you a couple of stabs at different angles.
in terms of if I did, if my one activity metric fails, I've got these other two metrics that hopefully will help compensate and have clarity, like you said, around the outcome of the role. Yeah. And I did mention this, but I'll call it out more specifically. If you have a combination of leading indicator types of metrics for future results and current current results that need to be delivered, you're doing that balancing act between delivering today's results and ensuring tomorrow's. Again, it's fairly easy to demonstrate with a sales rep kind of example, but in most roles, there are things that need to happen today that will enable tomorrow's results. And if we just focus on today's results, we'll get that, right? We'll incentivize right. that. And then we might be jeopardizing tomorrow. So you got to think through these things. But as long as everybody knows, and I shouldn't say everybody, as long as the leader and the team members see eye to eye about what's expected, how it will be measured, and how it aligns to company goals, right. then we have the clarity. Now we can have, I mean, we can have accountability conversations, but the clarity is the accountability. Right. Now these team members can come report to you every week on the expectation. Yep. Uh, otherwise, it's like a little bit of a judgment session every week. Right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Daryl's doing the job. I'm the leader, but I and I see he, he's busy. He's shining shoes, but I needed a haircut. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that because it. Um, I noticed for myself when I first when I first became got Infusionsoft a long time ago. I gone through Emis training. I read the book. I did the course. I did the coaching. And long, long time ago. And I remember that when I was hiring staff, if I was having a great day, I loved everybody. And if I wasn't having a good day or sales are down, I was really like micromanaging people because I needed more results. And I, I realized it was Tyler Garns that told me about the three key metrics. He had, he led me on to this. Actually, I think it was Rich Fetke at one of Tyler's events who talked yeah. about it. And then I, I went and poked Tyler. I was like, Tyler, can you tell me more about this? And then want to walk around because I used to hang out at the office and he off the office from time to time. You guys used to color code, right? It was like green, yellow, red, not where people were at. Yeah. So that's, and that's just a real visual scoreboard at this point where, you know, now there's, a, they can just see the color. And so you don't necessarily need to micromanage them on a regular basis. As long as the reporting is regular enough and the clear accountability, it'll help you get to that next level. It help can, you don't need to micromanage at this point, as long as the, tra the integrity of your tracking is there. Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of integrity of tracking, whether it's three key metrics or any metric in the business? Sure. Where do people typically sure. get tripped up? Because I think as the complexity grows of the business, the scale, your dashboards may grow as well. And data I, I actually, and everything. And maybe I don't fully understand the question. Maybe you've experienced this in painful ways, but I actually don't see integrity of the tracking problems. Like I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that because- you can put garbage out there and say, that's not good tracking, but everybody sniffs it out so fast. It's like irrelevant, right? And they go, oh yeah, that's not even useful. And so they either fix it or they change the metric to something that's still relevant, but e more easily tracked or, or there's more integrity in that report back. Yeah. And I, I've never really seen bad reporting last very long. <laughs> like right, like right, right. everybody goes, that's garbage. And they just start to ignore it. And so I usually don't see a problem with that. Are there key KPIs that you have to monitor for the company as a whole. We talked about monitoring individual roles. What are, obviously there's the, the typical financials, profit, loss, cash flow, right? The balance yeah. Sheet. Yeah. The answer is yes, that there are key KPIs for every business. And, and then the follow-up answer is every business might be a little different on what those key KPIs are. Let's take an example or two. I don't know. In the and let's let's do the farming context because we had a little fun with that <laughs> before the show started. What if 
pollination of those blossoms was a key indicator about how good the harvest was going to be that year. You, if you didn't ever track that, and then your harvest was disappointing, you're like, what happened this year? Why did it work so well last year? What happened this year? Turns out that, I don't know, the bee population got cut in half because of this. We had this deep freeze that one time or whatever. Sometimes we don't actually know what those key indicators are until we, until something bad happens. And then we go research and we go, oh, it was because the bee population got cut in half. And that's the problem. We need to watch that really closely or we're going to have a problem next year. And so sometimes we learn what these are through painful experience. But most of the people listening to this are going to be super dialed in on the core things that really matter for their business already. Like right. it's not usually a revel revelatory experience or like, whoa, blew my mind that you came up with the right KPI for us. Most right. people know what it is, but the way to think about it is what are the core value drivers for my business? What are the core health indicators for my business? And you start to play with those. There's some really good stuff. I mean, it's old, but there's some really good stuff out there about the balanced scorecard, right? There's the financial feedback. There's the customer feedback. There's the employee feedback, right? If there's investors involved, that's that's more of a an audience or stakeholder perspective of it. Um, but yeah, you, you want to know that the processes are healthy. You want to know the financials are good. You want to know that team members are happy. You want to know that customers are singing your praises there's probably going to be a key performance indicator in one of those areas, at least one, sorry, in each of those areas. In some businesses, it all comes down to one key measure. In, in, in software, because we both know the, the right. keep model a little bit, in software, it was all about usage. Like usage is king was a phrase we said all the time. Right. If people aren't using the software, they're not going to get value and they're going to be gone. So right. usage was really high. And, and a corresponding measure that we tracked and watched like a, a hawk was retention. If, if we keep retention high in a recurring revenue business, that's really healthy. But if yeah. retention, if, if turnover or churn grows too high, we, then we don't have a very sustainable business model. So th there are a few key measures usually in each business that really drive the, the story. And you just got to get calibrated on those. And then you, you watch them forever and ever. Yeah, fair enough. I love that. That's I think that's a really good message. I like you talked about processes, finances, and customers. That if you really look and measure those three, was there another one? Did I miss and, one? And, and team, employee team. or team health, right? Yeah. Customer, team, finance, process. Yeah. That was the old balance scorecard thing from when I was in school 20, 25 years ago. I think that's great. If you took because again, a company is just a group of people helping another group of people. So the team. What's your, how's your team doing? Is morale high? Are people taking a ton of sick days, right? Are, how, yeah. are, what, are people arguing in the office? That may be isolated the team for now, but it could be a leading into a lagging indicator of things to come, right? Usage. Yeah. Retention. Those are, I thought those were really good. All right. Is there anything, I want to be respectful of your time. And I know that we're already over on the hour because I, I wanted to tell you about my dragon fruit farm ambitions at the beginning of the call. But is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? A self-serving plug here. If, if there are seven-figure business owners out there who are struggling to make that transition, we have lots of resources on our website. It's growwithelite.com. I know you're going to have that in your show notes. Yep. Uh, we, we absolutely love to help elite entrepreneurs. These three to 5% of businesses that ever get to, to seven figures, those are the ones who, who encounter these new problems and, and there's not a lot of places to look for that. So 
we're passionate about it. We've got a ton of resources for you out there, free ones on our website. Love to have you go and check it out. And if we can ever help, we're, we're here for that. So for those listening and want to learn more, go check out growwithelite.com, G-R-O-W-I-T-H-E-L-I-T-E.com. You can probably, can they look you up on LinkedIn too? Yep, absolutely. On LinkedIn, I'm there. Yeah. Yep. Look them up on LinkedIn, Brett, B-R-E-T-G-I-L-I-L-A-N-D, right? Gilly, Gilliland. Yeah, Dylan, right. And, there, and, and I have a doppelganger out there, or at least we share a name. He's like a financial advisor guy, not me, but he's cool on LinkedIn too. But his name's not Brett, is it? And he doesn't work. Yeah, it is. Oh, Brett oh. Gilliland. Yeah, same oh. exact name. Same exact. Yeah. So you want the elite. You want the elite of the two. Always yeah, the choose the elite the option. Yeah, that's yeah, right. If you're choosing between two options, always choose the elite. So Brett, this has been a wonderful call. I've got a couple of pages of notes. It's just been refreshing to catch up old times, the old industries, old stomping grounds, so to speak. And just to hear your timeless advice, I think this is relevant now. I think it'll be relevant in five years, 10 years. And so I think the people that were listening may want to go back and listen to this a second time. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. No, you have your own show, your own audience, your own customers, your own team to take care of. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and mine so we can all do a little bit better. Absolutely, Daryl. It was a great pleasure and it was fun to catch up.